And would you please remain standing now as we read this morning's text from Matthew chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed at this time. There's programming uh, down the hall for them, and uh, we are grateful that you are here uh, for the 9 o'clock service at Community Christian Church. Thank you for coming today. There's an old English proverb that goes something like this, good to begin well, better to end well. Good to begin well, better to end well, and it applies to sermons. Um, The great sermons that you've heard probably are great to you in part because they ended well. They ended with a punch. They ended with something you'll never forget. They ended with something that changed you. And Jesus is the greatest preacher to ever live. And the most famous sermon of the greatest preacher to ever live ends this kind of way. It ends even better than it starts. And after the people heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew tells us that at the very end that they were amazed at the teaching of Jesus because nobody had ever taught with such authority as he taught. And it's at the end of this most famous sermon that we we get this little story that we just read and we get to look at today. And, And to bring his sermon home, what Jesus does is he tells a parable. Uh, As Joel said before, we're in this series called Broadcast, and we're exploring some of Jesus' parables, which is what our kids did at CIY Move Conference last summer, and these are the same ideas that they got to work through, and we get to entertain them too, and these weeks will lead us up to our CIY Move meal, and we hope that you're a part of that at the end of March. And so, Jesus' conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount is a parable. And it's a parable about two guys, and a lot is the same about these two guys. Here's the first thing. Both are building the same house. Uh, they're, They're each building their own house, right? But they're essentially building the same house because both guys have great plans, both have the best materials, both have, you know, shiplap siding. They've consulted Ship and Joanna Gaines, and they have granite countertops and marble tile, and from the outside looking in, the houses look exactly the same. They're three-bedroom, two-bath, central hair and heat, and energy-efficient 30-year roof. They're great schools fenced in backyard with a nice view. Both guys are building the same kind of house. And then in this parable, both guys encountered the same kind of storm. Uh, Verses 25 and 27, for both of them, Jesus says, the rains fall down, the the floods come, and the winds blow, and they beat on the house. Probably the most important thing to understand about the storm is that both people can't avoid the storm. The storm is unavoidable. The storm is going to come for every house. This is not a parable that Jesus tells so that we can avoid storms. 
But it's a parable that he tells so that we can survive the storms that come. Because the storm will come, and both guys get hit by the storm. One more in this parable that is the same is that both men hear the same words. Uh, Verse 24 and 26, both of our builders are operating with the same set of information. They both know the type of land they're building on. They both know the materials that are available to them. They both know the weather patterns. They know the flood zones, the earthquake zones, the tornado alleys. Both hear the same information. And then, also in this little story Jesus tells, we, we easily see that there are some things that are different. Those are the things that are the same, but there's some things that are different about these two guys and their houses. For one, their character is different. Verse 24 tells us that one man is wise, and wise, we've just finished a series on this, right? It means understanding. It means that he not only took the information he heard, but, but he also used and applied that information in building his house. And so, biblically, Wisdom is the ability to apply information and knowledge to everyday life, and one of the guys is wise. He knew what needed to be done, and he did it. Verse 26 tells us something very different about the other builder, and Jesus doesn't really mince words here. The ESV that we're reading from says foolish, but the original word behind that word is moros, and you, you might guess Uh, The English word that comes from moros, it is moron. That's it. Moron uh, is a stupid person. But this person is not called a moron by Jesus because he lacks knowledge. That's not it. Every one of us lack knowledge about something, right? No, a moron is made when a person has all of the knowledge that he needs but fails to ever do anything with it. You knew it was five below zero out. Why didn't, yeah, well, why didn't you grab a coat? You're you're a moron, right? One man is wise. He knew what needed to be done, and he did it. One man is foolish. He's a moron. He knew what needed to be done, and he did not do it. And again, this is important. By all outward appearance, when we look at these two guys, all perception and measure from the outside, these two men are exactly the same. They live in the same house. They live in the same circumstances. They live in the same knowledge. But what Jesus tells us is that these two men are fundamentally different people. And here's what makes them different. Jesus points to their foundations. Verse 24, the wise man builds his house on a rock. It means he had to dig down deep into the ground until he hit bedrock, and that bedrock became the foundation for his house. Now, doing that is expensive. Digging that deep is expensive. Building on the rock is time-consuming, but when you build on the rock, you're built to last. Contrast that with verse 26. The moron builds his house on sand, not rock. Sand isn't stable. Uh, sand can't be compacted. It's not solid. It can't provide a base to build anything on top of. It's pretty useless as a foundation. And again, our builder knows this. He's not ignorant. Again, we're all ignorant about something. He's not ignorant about this. He's foolish about this. He knows sand isn't stable, but he builds there anyway. And you can see maybe why the foolish way might be appealing. Building on sand is cheap. Building on sand is fast. 
we can save all of the expense of having to dig, we, and we can put our house wherever we want. You want that view? We can have that view. And when I think about these guys and their foundations, uh, I think about an old show called Extreme Makeover. Anybody? Anybody remember that show? Uh, if you've never seen it, it was a very simple, simple concept. A, a worthy family would be surprised with a last-minute vacation to Disney World or something like that. And while they were gone for a week or 10 days, there were construction crews that would come in and would totally remake and remodel their house. Now, they wouldn't come back to just some new drywall. They would come back to their dream house. And when that family finally came back, the extreme makeover people would park their big travel bus in front of the house so that the expectant family could not see the house. And right before the big reveal at the end of the show, all of the workers and all the show people and Ty Pennington would stand by the bus and they would say, move that bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys have seen the show. Awesome. And then these people would get to go and explore their new dream house. Now, in all those episodes that that show had, and I, I think it ran for a few years, here's the thing. I never once, not once, saw those new homeowners go inspect the foundation of their house. They spent time looking at the new sauna. The new game room was so cool, right? That, that, that bathroom sink that doubled as an aquarium that had live fish in it, that was amazing. The, the new island in the kitchen with a wood-fired uh, pizza oven, I mean, they were interested in that. But the foundation, never, never once did I ever see anybody go and look at the foundation. And so probably the best things to say about a foundation is this. Most people never pay attention to it until it's too late. The rest of the story that Jesus tells is, is about what happens to each builder, to these houses that look the same, they're built with the same information, everything stays the same until, until the storm comes. The storm rolls in, there's rain on roofs, there's rivers on foundations, and there's wind against walls, and look what happened in the end. Verse 25, one house stood. Verse 27, one house fell. And not only did it fall, but it fell greatly. The word is mega. It was a, it was a supersized fall. That's what Jesus says. And so everything about these houses seems to be the same until the storm rolls in. And it's the storm that reveals the truth that these are fundamentally different houses. One house crumbles to the ground. One house stands firm doing exactly what it was built to do. And that's the parable. Uh, and embedded in this picture, this story of two guys building, one who is wise, one who is foolish, one on the rock, one on the sand, one standing strong, one caving in, and this story is built in a very simple question. Jesus doesn't even have to ask it out loud because he doesn't have to. It's an obvious question, and it's built into the story, and here it is. Which house do you want to live in? Some of you might know uh, the name Harry Truman, and I'm not talking about the former president. Uh, that was Harry S. 
Truman. I'm talking about Harry R. Truman. Harry Randall Truman was a homeowner at the foot of Mount St. Helens in Washington State. And in 1980, Mount St. Helens, which is an active volcano, was showing signs of a major eruption. One expert came in and declared that the chance of an eruption was 100%. And Truman's home was located at the south end of a lake at the foot of Mount St. Helens. And he was living, they determined, in the most likely path of the volcanic flow that would happen. And if Mount St. Helens erupted, Harry Randall Truman was facing an almost certain death. And so... People tried to warn Harry. They told him to get out. Government officials came and they, they pleaded with him to leave. But all of, uh, to all of them, he said, no, 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 I am staying. I'm not going anywhere. Friends came in and said, your failure to move, this is suicide. Why are you doing this? Family members begged him to leave because he was going to die. And on May 18th, 1980, the massive eruption took place. The lava flowed right where they said it would, right in the path of Truman's home. And on May 18th, 1980, Harold Randall Truman died. He could not let go of his home, even if it meant certain death. Harry's own choice is what brought about his, his end. It was the choice that he made or the choice that he didn't make, depending on how you look at it, that determined his outcome. And it's the same with these two builders in Jesus' parable. And it's the same with you. And it's the same with me. Build your life in the right place and the firestorm won't touch you. But if you build your life in the wrong place, there's nothing the storm won't take. I should probably point out, that Jesus here in this parable is not comparing Christians to non-Christians. That's not what's going on here. We could say it this way, that both of these guys who are building houses are church guys. Both read the Bible, both attend church on Sunday morning, both take part in Bible studies. The difference is their foundations that are hidden from view that not too many people look at. And one of them hears and does, and that's his foundation, and the other hears and does nothing, and that's his foundation, and relying on the words of Jesus to save him from the storm, that's what one of the guys is doing. The, the other is relying on something else entirely. And so, what makes the difference between the two guys? How, how can we be wise builders of life instead of morons? And there are two ideas that stick out here to me. Jesus repeats them for each man, and both, both instructions concern, and they, they surround this phrase, these words of mine. Jesus says, these words of mine. And he's referring to his own words that he's just preached in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And first, Jesus says of these words of mine, listen, listen to these words of mine. The very first step to storm-proofing your life, according to Jesus, is simply to give him a chance to be heard. Ask yourself this, do I really know what Jesus taught? Do I really know what Jesus said? Do I really know his words? 
Have I read the scripture enough to know for sure that Jesus said all of those things that I think he said, that I've been told he said? So many of us think that we know what Jesus said. And we think we know what the church teaches. We think we know the gospel, but do we? Are we putting ourselves in a place to be able to listen to the words of Jesus? One of the fascinating things about Harry Randall and Mount St. Helens is that the volcanic blast that took place in 1980 could be heard as far away as 600 miles. That's amazing. There was a housewife that was 200 miles away from Mount St. Helens, and she was standing outside her house that day, and when she heard the explosion, she thought that something large, like a refrigerator or something, had fallen and crashed inside her house. That was 200 miles away. And so you would think that that blast must have been deafening for those who were in the danger zone around the mountain, but... The interesting thing is, it wasn't the case at all. There were a number number of people who were rescued within a few miles of the mountain, and they testified to this most amazing thing. Not only was the blast not deafening, they didn't hear it at all. They had no idea that the mountain had even erupted. They thought that the dark sky was just clouds and, and rain. And so experts did some study, and they figured out that these people were in what's called the zone of silence. Uh, Scientists explained that the incredible upward thrust of the exploding mountain also sent the sound of the event straight up into the atmosphere, where then it bounced back to the earth, but it bounced outward and away from ground zero. And so that Bouncing went on for 600 miles, and that's why people could hear it. But here's what that means for us. It means that Harry Truman was not in a place where he could even hear the eruption that led to his death. The only way that he would have known that his end was near was if he happened to be looking at the mountain when it exploded. Even though he was in the shadow of the volcano, he wasn't in a place to hear it. You might be in church today. I might be in church today. Well, good for you, Harry, right? You're on the mountain, but can you hear what's going on? Have you put your heart in a posture of listening to the words of Jesus? Because just being close to the words of Jesus isn't enough. Look closely at a phrase in verse 25 that Jesus uses. He says, this builder whose house stood strong in the storm, Jesus says, it stood strong because it had been founded. What does that mean? It means that the foundation was already done. The foundation was laid long before the storm was ever forecast. The builder listened and he heard and he did not wait to put his house on the foundation. Harry didn't listen to people. He turned them away. He drove them away. And when the eruption did happen, he couldn't hear it. 
And as you build your spiritual house, as I build my spiritual house, we need to know that the same thing is true. You can push Jesus' words away only so long, and a day is going to come, and the storm clouds are going to gather on the horizon, and on that day, it will be too late to listen. You may not even be able to hear anymore, and the time to lay a foundation that saves will be gone. Jesus says, listen to these words of mine. Here's the second instruction that he gives. He says, practice these words of mine. Practice. It's the uh, NIV that uses this word practice. The ESV doesn't. It, it, it says something else. Verse 24, I put the, ES, or the NIV up. It says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Then in verse, again in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Now, practice is a familiar concept to us, right? We go to basketball practice. We have play practice. We have piano practice. We have dance practice. We have soccer practice. We understand practice. There were lots of years ago, uh, Dwayne Bowe was a high draft pick for the Kansas City Chiefs. And when he was drafted, everybody had high hopes for this receiver who would come in and he would help Kansas City win football games. He had such potential right, right out, of the, uh, out of the gate. And, and so right away, there were contract disputes, there were negotiations, and uh, because they hang, hung on a little bit, he did not make it to training camp on time. And that particular season, there was a show called Hard Knocks, and, and they followed the Kansas City Chiefs during their training camp that year, and they had their cameras rolling on the Chiefs organization. And when Dwayne Bowe's contracts finally did get worked out, uh, they were there when he finally made it to Chiefs training camp. And they videoed this whole ordeal as this rookie stepped onto the field for the first time ever, for the first time ever. And as he does so, he turns to an assistant coach and to some other people who were there, and he boldly says, you know what I'm going to say when I'm inducted into the Hall of Fame? Now, this guy has never had one NFL snap. He is a complete rookie, but he says to everyone around, you know what I'm going to say when I get into the Hall of Fame? And without missing a beat, the assistant coach just looks at him and says, you going to practice first? We need to practice. To get to the Hall of Fame, you have to practice first. We know that, right? We practice intensely for so many things. Have you ever thought about practicing for Jesus in the same way? Practice loving others. Have we ever thought about that? How about practicing forgiving each other? Have you ever said to yourself, I need to practice joy today? How about practice praying? Why, why are people afraid to pray? The answer is always this, I don't know how. Okay, let's practice so that you do. Take time uh, and talk to, to Jesus and to God like you would any other friend you love. The only possible way to mess up a prayer is to start with dear Satan, right? That, that's it. <laughs> Anything else, you're probably fine. Uh, how about this? Are we practicing being faithful? Let's practice being followers of Jesus. Practice. Because here's the thing. We all want to end up in heaven. And we all want to have pictures 
and ideas, and we do have pictures and ideas of what heaven will be like, and Scripture tells us what heaven is going to be like, that we're going to be able to walk the streets of gold. We're going to be able to eat from the tree of life. We're going to be able to talk face-to-face with Jesus. We will be with all the people that we love in the most amazing place that God has built specifically for us. And maybe along the way, you're like me, and you've thought of asking God about that thing, right? When you see God, I'm going to ask him that thing. I'm, I, when I get to heaven, you know what I'm going to ask God? Oh, can I be the assistant coach here, please? Are you going to practice first? Man, let's talk about getting to heaven, but, but let's practice first. Live out the words of Jesus. Hearing and doing are other words for listening and practicing. And both of those words are summed up in one word, and it is this, obedience. Obedience. To learn to obey is the most important thing in life. Henry Blackaby tells about the first funeral that he ever conducted. It was for, he says, a beautiful three-year-old little girl. And she was the first child born to a couple in their church and the first grandchild in their extended family. But he says this, she was a spoiled little girl. He was visiting in their home one day and he observed that this girl loved to ignore her parents' instruction. When they told her to come, she went. And when they said, sit down, she stood up. And her parents just laughed, they thought it was cute. One day, their front gate was left open. The parents saw their child escaping out of the yard, heading toward the road in front of their house, and to their horror, a car was racing down the street, and as she ran out between two parked cars, they both screamed at the top of their lungs, stop, turn back, and she paused for a second, and she looked back at her parents, and then she gleefully laughed as she turned and ran directly into the path of the oncoming car. The parents rushed their little girl to the hospital, but she died from her injuries. And Blackaby says that as a young pastor, that was a profound lesson to him. He realized that God's people not only need to be able to listen and recognize his voice, but also immediately obey his voice when they hear it. Obedience is life. And that's what Jesus is asking for. His claim here is that obedience to him is the only sure foundation for life. And his promise here is that obedience, when when we listen to and we practice the word, that's what will keep us safe in this life no matter what is coming down the road. Now, as Jesus told this parable of wise and foolish builders, there's something else here that we need to factor in. And it's this, that about 100 miles south of Galilee, and that's where Jesus was as he preaches this sermon, about 100 miles south, there were men who were being employed by King Herod. And what they were doing is they were building something. They were rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple, of course, was a central part of the Jewish faith. Uh, It was the centerpiece, one of them, of the Israelite nation. The temple was where God dwelled. The temple was spoken up as God's house. The temple was also declared to be built upon, get this, the rock. It was said that the temple was impervious to wind and weather. 
And the implication was that the temple would last forever. Doesn't matter what storm comes, the temple will stand. And in the last sermon Jesus gives in this very same gospel, Jesus says something that no Jewish person would ever have said. He is in Jerusalem with his disciples, and the temple is in the background. And he says to his disciples, after they ask about the temple, he says, this temple will come crashing down. Not one stone will be left on top of another. It really isn't built to last forever. The temple is going to end. And it happened in 70 AD, Rome rolled into Jerusalem, and they tore the temple to the ground. And why did that happen? Listen to this. Because Israel as a nation failed to listen to and put into practice the saving message of their Messiah who was sent to them by God, Jesus Christ. Then put that with this, that halfway through this very same gospel where he tells this parable, there's another dramatic moment and Jesus is with his disciples and he asks them, who do people say that I am? And Peter pops up and he says, he, he makes this famous declaration. He says, this is who you are, Jesus. Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says in response to Peter's words that it's on this rock that I will build my church. The word rock is the very same word as in our parable today. The wise man built on the rock, the sure foundation and the church built on the foundation that Jesus is the living Savior sent by God to cleanse and heal and to forgive sin through his sacrifice on the cross. The church will stand so securely on that foundation of Jesus that not even the gates of hell will ever prevail against it. And what we learn from those two little things in this same gospel is that it's the person of Jesus. It's not a temple. That is the only bedrock worthy of building a life on top of. It's Jesus, not our own ability to obey without failure, but the person of Jesus, the word of life. Jesus is the only foundation that will last forever. Jesus is the only foundation that has conquered death. Jesus is the only foundation that walked out of a tomb alive after he was dead. And only when we build our lives on the resurrected Jesus Will we be part of a house that never falls, but stands and lives forever? And so the question for us today is the same as it was then. We don't even really need to hear it. We just get it implicitly from the story. Which house do you want to live in? Do you want to live in the one founded on the rock, or do you want to live on the one fallen in the storm. The storm of God's judgment is coming, and so have you built your life with that storm in mind? It was the worst storm that Royal Caribbean had ever had. Uh, the waves hit 50 feet high. Plates were flying. Pianos were rolling all over the ship. People were be becoming sick and throwing up. It was a very messy situation. People were screaming all over the boat because of the storm. And one woman could not stand it anymore. She had to do something. And so she picked up the phone. And she said, I want to speak to the captain. 
They said, ma'am, the captain's on the bridge. He can't talk to anybody right now because there's kind of a storm going on. Uh, but she said, then I want you to tell him something for me. I am very upset that he would put us through this. When he knew the storm was coming, we could have avoided this, and I want to lodge that complaint. They said, we will relay that to the captain. A few minutes later, her phone rang, and it was the assistant to the captain. And he said, ma'am, we've just received your message. It was relayed to the captain, and he asked me to call you and to share with you a couple of things. Number one, lady, would you go to sleep? <laughs> because the captain's going to stay up, and there's no need in both of you staying awake. Number two, the second thing is, this ship was built with this storm in mind. Long before we ever hit the storm, we knew that this day was going to come. We knew that there was going to be a day when we would face nature at its most vicious level. And so way back then, when we were putting the boat together, we contemplated this moment. And this boat was structured in such a way that on whatever day that this storm might come, while it might be inconvenient, while it might be irritating, while it might be aggravating or exacerbating, while it might be traumatic to go through, what you need to know, ma'am, is that all of this was considered when it was constructed. So while the storm is bad, the boat is better. I don't know. What storms, what hurricanes, what volcanoes, what tornadoes you will face. You're either just coming out of a storm probably or maybe your storm is around the corner waiting on you. I don't know what storm you'll have, but I do know that this Savior that we have was built with the coming storm of God's judgment in mind. The storm of sin, the storm of judgment is bad, but Jesus is better. He is stronger than the storm. And so, here's what hopefully you have taken in today that you are building. You're building a life. And that you've heard, you've heard the words of Jesus, these words of mine. And you know that the storm will come. And so, would you pay attention? The only one left standing after the storm is the one who practiced the words that he was given. God, would you help us to hear the words of Jesus today? Help us to put them into practice. We thank you for building a Savior that is stronger than anything we will face. Jesus alone is our salvation. And may he be and may he continue to be our unfailing foundation, our strength in the storm. And it's in the name of Jesus, our rock, that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Would you stand and let's respond and worship.